Welcome to Russian History Retold, Episode 183, The Russian Civil War, Part 2, The Belligerents, the Reds, Blacks, Plus One. Last time, we looked at the commanders of the White Armies that would lead the fight against the Bolsheviks and their allies. Today, we will look at the leaders of the Red Army and their partners, as well as a mystery man who was involved in another war with the Russians, which had an impact, though, on the Civil War. When you think of the Russian Civil War, you think of the fight between the Reds and the Whites. But that would only tell you part of the story. There were other groups like the Greens, who appear in 1920, and the Blacks, led by Nestor Makhno, who I will begin with today. Nestor Makhno was born on November 7, 1888, in Huliopol, which is now in Ukraine, into a very poor peasant family. His father died when he was a mere 10 months old, which caused him to begin working as a shepherd to feed the family at the age of seven. By 1905, he started working in an iron foundry where he was exposed to radical ideas that were spreading around Russia like wildfire. By the following year, he had joined the anarchist communist movement. He was arrested in 1906 and again in 1907, but released due to lack of evidence both times. In 1908, he was arrested yet again, and because of an informer, he was convicted and in 1910 sentenced to death. The sentence was commuted to life imprisonment, where he served the next seven years at the Butryskaya prison in Moscow. His release came in February 1917. From here, Makhno became sort of a Robin Hood of Ukraine, expropriating lands and money from the wealthy and giving much of it to the peasants. This made him quite popular and created a large following, which was to turn into his three-million-man army. At the time, the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk was signed by the Bolshevik government that ended the Russian involvement in World War I, but the consequences of the treaty were to make them very unpopular in Ukraine, as it ceded large tracts of the country to the Germans. Guerrilla bands began to spring up, and by 1919 they coalesced into the revolutionary insurrectionary army of Ukraine, with Makhno as their commander. We will leave him here and come back to him in the future. Now for the Red Army leaders. Of course we have Vladimir Lenin, Leon Trotsky, Zhukums Vasiatis, Sergei Kamenev, Mikhail Tukhachevsky, and Mikhail Frunz. While I mentioned Joseph Stalin last week, I'm going to put it out that he was not a major player in the war, unless, of course, you read the history he revised when he came to power. Lenin was in exile for almost the entire time before the revolution, so we'll bypass him for now, which means we'll move to Leon Trotsky. Well, anyway, since I've already done a podcast series on him, episodes 153 to 155, I'm going to say a few things about him. While Lenin was hiding and Stalin was trying to avoid being captured, Trotsky was organizing the revolution after his release from jail in September of 1917. This was done despite both Lev Kamenev and Grigory Zinoviev being against the attempt at seizing power. Stalin, for his part, really wasn't much of a leader in the early days, so I'm just going to leave him off for now. The next leader I'm going to focus on is Jukums Vasiadis, also known as Joachim Vatsidis as without him and his Latvian Zemgali Rifle Regiment, the Bolsheviks would have certainly lost control of Moscow 
and very likely the rest of the country. Born on November 11, 1873, in Latvia, his early life, of which I have found very little detail, was supposedly difficult. In 1897, Vatsidis started his career in the Kuanis Fortress Garrison before being transferred to the Riga Non-Commissioned Officers Battalion in 1902. In 1905, he was promoted to the rank of Staff Captain. In 06, he joined the prestigious Nicholas General Staff Academy in St. Petersburg. In 1912, he was promoted to Lieutenant Colonel and later on moved to the 102nd Jatkis Infantry Regiment in Grodno as battalion commander. In World War I, he commanded the 5th Latvian Rifle Regiment, where he, we will leave him for a while. The next commander is Sergei Sergeyevich Kamenev, no relation to Lev Kamenev. Born on April 4, 1881 in Moscow, the son of a military engineer, Kamenev graduated from the Alexander Military School in 1900 and from the Academy of the General Staff in 1907. In World War I, he held numerous staff positions, was chief of the operations division of the First Army, and was appointed commander of an infantry regiment with the rank of colonel in early 1917. This is where we drop him off. The next two men were far better known than the first two. Mikhail Frunz was born on February 2, 1885, in Pishpek, Turkestan. His father was Moldavan of German descent, and his mother was Russian. He studied for a time at the St. Petersburg Polytechnical University, where he became part of the Social Democratic Labor Party, whose leaders at the time were Julius Martov and Vladimir Lenin. This was the party that eventually split into the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks. Frunz sided with Lenin. In the 1905 revolution, Frunz was a key leader of the striking textile workers in Shuya and Ivanova. In 1907, he was arrested and sentenced to death, which was commuted to life imprisonment in Siberia. He escaped ten years later, where he made it to China. Shortly thereafter, he returned to Moscow, where he helped with the fight to take the city. We will leave him here until we see him become a military commissar in 1918. Next up is one of the great military minds of the Red Army, who would tragically be purged by Stalin during the military purges of 1937-38, Mikhail Nikolaevich Tukhachevsky. I'm going to go deeper into this man than the others, as he's one of the most polarizing characters in the Civil War and pre-World War II. Much has been made of him being born into an aristocratic family on February 16, 1893, which did give him a step up in life, they were, nonetheless, a poor family. His birth city was Aleg Alexandrovskoy, which now lies in the Smolensk Oblast. Because of his heritage, he was able to attend a number of prestigious schools, including the Moscow military, graduating in 1912. From there, he went to the Alexandrovskoy Military School, graduating in 1914, where he joined the Semyonovsky Guard Regiment as a second lieutenant. By all accounts, he was a very ambitious young man. With the outbreak of World War I, he led his men to some early victories, but he was captured by the Germans in February of 1915. Tukhachevsky managed to escape four times from the prisoner of war camp, so when captured yet again, he was placed in the Ingolstadt fortress in Bavaria, 
where he shared a cell with another incorrigible escapee, one Captain Charles de Gaulle. But even this place couldn't keep him in as he escaped from there and finally made it back to Russia in September of 1917. After the October Revolution, Tukhachevsky joined the Bolsheviks. I want to bypass his role in the Civil War, as I'll be talking about him quite a bit in the coming episodes, and skip to a snippet of his time as the commander of the Soviet Red Army and their invasion of Poland in 1920. This time was to play an extremely important role in his life, and eventually his death. Reason I will do only a snippet of the war is because it will encompass an entire episode in this series, and this one on the Soviet-Polish War. Tukhachevsky was only 27 years of age when Poland invaded Ukraine and tried to annex what they felt was their ancestral land. The Poles were led by Joseph Pilsudski, who I will talk about more shortly. The war started in 1919 with Lenin wanting to take over all of Ukraine and march into Poland, then to Germany to bring Bolshevism to the European masses. Pilsudski wanted a united Poland and a return to a time when his country, along with Lithuania, controlled Ukraine. At the time, immediately after World War I, almost every one of Poland's newly independent neighbors began fighting over borders. Romania fought with Hungary over Transylvania, Yugoslavia with Italy over Rijeka, Poland with Czechoslovakia over parts of Silesia, and with Ukraine's over eastern Galicia. Ukrainians, Belarusians, Lithuanians, Estonians, and Latvians fought against each other and against the Russians. They were trying to throw off centuries of foreign domination. Winston Churchill was quoted as arrogantly saying about these fights, quote, The war of giants has ended. The wars of the pygmies begin. As you can see, this was quite a chaotic time. When Polish troops invaded Ukraine and went so far as to capture Kiev, Tukhachevsky was one of the generals sent in to push them back all the way to Warsaw. Another military leader sent in was Joseph Stalin. Along the way, the two crossed paths with each blaming the other for a disastrous outcome. Tukhachevsky blamed Stalin for not having his back, causing him to lose the war that he felt he was winning. Stalin blamed his adversary for overstretching his lines and losing the war. The animosity was not to turn out well for the general. From that moment on, Stalin viewed Tukhachevsky as a rival, and as we know, rivals don't fare well with Stalin. He first tried to get the, rid of the general in 1930, but it didn't work out because no one wanted a rat on him, and Tukhachevsky was thought of as a brilliant military man who was credited with the theory of deep operations. Deep operations was a plan to penetrate enemy lines and disrupt their rear logistics and supply lines. The Soviets used this in 1939 in the Battle of Kalikin Gol against the Japanese, where they were surprisingly victorious. This concept was also used in the Battle of Stalingrad and Operation Bagration. By 1935, Tukhachevsky was named a Marshal of the Soviet Union, but behind the scenes Stalin was preparing to take him down. He allowed the Marshal to visit the UK, France, and Germany, which was almost certainly a setup. Tukhachevsky was removed as an assistant to Clement Voroshilov and made commander of the Volga military district. As was Stalin's habit, this was a ruse to get the person to drop his guard as right after he left Moscow for his new position on May 22, 1937, Tukhachevsky was arrested and returned to the capital. 
What followed were days of absolutely brutal torture. Stalin wanted a confession, and even more than that, he wanted the names of co-conspirators, even though no conspiracy existed. Tukhachevsky implicated Nikolai Bukharin and Avel Yanokidze as the ones who recruited him to be a German saboteur and a plan to overthrow the Soviet Union. The confession, which is in the archives in Russia, show what looks like blood splatter on the paper it was written on. Tukhachevsky's trial, along with eight other generals, was called the case of Trotskyist anti-Soviet military organization. They were tried and found guilty on June 11, 1937, and that evening Tukhachevsky was shot in the back of the head by NKVD Captain Vasily Blokin. It didn't end there. His wife and two brothers were executed. Three of his sisters were sent to the gulags, along with his young daughter, who wasn't released until the 1950s. There were rumors that the Germans were fearful of Tukhachevsky and had forged documents which made its way to Stalin. This was a position made by noted historian Robert Conquest in 1968 in his book The Great Terror, when in 18, I mean in 1989, it was found that Stalin knew the documents were forgeries, and in fact Stalin had Yezhov leak information to the German high command, and in particular SS Gruppenführer Reinhard Heydrich about Tukhachevsky being ready to overthrow Stalin. Although this supported evidence, or supposed evidence, was not used in his trial, it was used to justify the conviction to those in his inner circle. Ironically, five of the eight generals who sat in judgment of Tukhachevsky were themselves executed in the next purge. Now on to the last person we'll go over today, and that is Joseph Pilsudski. You may be asking, why are we talking about a Polish leader when we're dealing with the Russian Civil War? And that would make a lot of sense, except that the invasion of Ukraine and Belarus during the time of the Civil War was to have a big impact on things, as we shall see in the coming episodes. Joseph Clemens Pilsudski was born on December 5, 1867, in Lithuania, which was then part of the Russian Empire, to a noble family. The gymnasium he studied in was to have a younger pupil who would become one of his arch-enemies, Felix Drzhinsky, head of the Russian secret police under Lenin, the Cheka. Pilsudski and his family despised the Tsar's Russification program and being forced to attend Russian Orthodox Church services. This built in a deep hatred for the Russians and their culture. On March 22, 1887, he was arrested by Tsarist authorities on a charge of plotting to assassinate Tsar Alexander III, although it was really his brother Bronislav who was involved. He spent many brutal years in prison in Siberia, which was to have an effect on his health for the rest of his life. Upon his return from exile, he joined the socialists, where they tried to find a way for Poland and Lithuania to move away from Russian dominance. He was arrested on a few occasions, but was able to escape. During the Russo-Japanese War, he went to Tokyo to try to convince the Japanese government to sponsor revolts in Poland, which he argued would cause the Russians to divert war materials away from their fight. Sadly, this failed. During World War I, Pilsudski wanted the Poles under his command to fight the Russians only. He made it known to the British that he would never take arms against them or the French, only the Russians. When the July 1917 Oath Crisis came about, Pilsudski forbade Rush of Polish soldiers to swear an oath of loyalty to the Central Powers. For that, he was arrested and imprisoned in Magdeburg, 
With the war winding down, he was released by the Germans and sent to Poland in the same manner that Lenin was sent back to Russia, in a sealed train. After the Treaty of Versailles was signed and Poland was granted independence, Pilsudski became the provisional chief of state and commander-in-chief of the military. Here he was to have come up with a plan to create a federation of states in the Baltic, similar to the old Polish-Lithuanian one 600 years earlier. It was because of this ideal that he wanted to invade Ukraine and Belarus. Here is where we leave him. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join me next time as we begin to get into the Russian Civil War, starting with the backdrop to this catastrophe. So now, as always, до свидания и спасибо большое.